What do you think of when you look back on memories from your childhood? For some, the thoughts of friends, early years of school, or family holiday might come to mind. For others, those pivotal moments, those backbones of what shaped them as people and set the tone for the path forward, are shrouded in a muggy fog. I must have been around five years old at the time, a baggy navy jumper and blue shirt draped over my lanky frame. Thin, grey school trousers creeped down towards the rubber soles of the faux leather shoes that I had proudly tied myself. I stood there, looking out of the bedroom window onto the cul-de-sac below, waiting for the minutes to tick down and for my dad to bring myself and my younger brother on the short walk to school. Our younger sister lay there gently in the cot by the door. An eerie feeling encompassed the room, yet one not wholly unfamiliar. Lingering tension pressed on me from all sides, which at some points had become an expected part of daily life. A somewhat default or neutral feeling in a way. The concept of anxiety was most definitely lost to my five-year-old self. From the room over, the not-so-muffled tones of a vicious argument reverberated on schedule. This was, however, a particularly notable occasion, one of which would come around every so often. At some point the cacophony spilled out towards the sitting room and kitchenette, nerves growing steadily as the clambering of bodies made its way towards us. My brother and I stood powerless. There was nothing we could do to stop what was happening. Our door swung open and in rushed our dad, closing it as quickly as he could, as if seeking refuge from a wild animal. And in a way he was. What followed was an image that would be imprinted in my mind for years to come. Our dad turned, blocking the door with his shoulder, taking purchase at an angle and shoving back against every attempt to crack it open. My brother and I, desperate to help in some way, whilst not at all understanding what was happening in front of us, took arms beside her dad and pushed back against the door. Those are the memories that stand out for me and so many others. People who grew up thinking that abuse was a normal part of life that just had to be dealt with. The imprints that these experiences leave on a growing mind are undeniable, warping and manipulating the worth they hold in themselves as well as their place in the world around them, having knock-on effects in every facet of life. Money was tight. And as a result, we found ourselves living in small spaces for the majority of my childhood. For as long as I can remember, a lingering sense of urgency and danger followed me wherever I went, only being exacerbated by the confined living conditions. To escape the home environment, my brother and I would spend countless hours adventuring and running around wherever we could. It was easier then, in those younger years, to shelve tensions and to put aside the worries and confusions of our situation as we explored the building in which our flat was situated. We knew, though, that we would always have to return to a household wrought with turmoil. Many of my memories from that time are somewhat blurred, with traces piercing through here and there, the remnants of the attempts of my brain to block it all out. The presence of who I now know to be Gardy, and being told to go back to bed as I wondered about the commotion. Sitting in the bathroom with my mother, being used as a bargaining chip, unaware of the knife she kept hidden in there. Seeing her arrive home, as if nothing happened, disappearing for days on end, using what money we had on copious amounts of alcohol. What I do remember though, clearer than anything, are the emotions I felt during those years. An impending sense of unease came over the household at even the mere hint of escalation, a crippling paranoia that at any time she could snap. It's strange to think just how normal these feelings became, living my life as a young child, fully accustomed to being on edge. You never knew what you would see or hear or feel in a day. These emotions became a part of me, they were ingrained so deeply within the fabric of my reality, and as far as I knew, that was just how it was. We had no reference to gauge just how different our situation really was, living on a main road, 
with no other kids around. My brother and I only had each other and our dad, with our sister coming later. For years, this was the way it was for us. Trapped in a household full of toxicity and fear. Cornered and abused by an individual from whom we couldn't break free. It's not my place to delve into the intricacies of the situation, but know that the physical and mental battles that were fought were complex, and the path away from them was not an easy one to take. Eventually, our father won the battle for custody. Quite a rare sight during the 2000s, with men in these situations not often being seen in a favourable light. It was decided that every second weekend we would spend with our mother, the prospect of which irked me, to put it mildly. I remember vividly fighting back and pleading on one occasion not to be forced onto the bus with her, unaware of the implications of my request. The few years we spent visiting our mother are hazy for both my brother and I, with our younger sister only being a few years old at the time. Snippets of events stand out in our mind, mostly of playing together and spending time with the other strange kids of her area. Ultimately, we were free from her for most days, but at that point I feel that the brunt of the damage had been done, festering and manifesting in us as our young minds developed. However, that anxiety and paranoia always returned to old heights when we were forced to go with her, feelings which were only increased after instances of physicality under her watch. The mental manipulation we experienced was only something I was able to identify and consider in recent years, an aspect that still frightens me in a way to this day. Things continued like this for a few years. She would come by and pick us up, and we would have to go with her, completely unaware of what was in store for us on each occasion. Who knew if we would return in the same condition we left? Little did I know that arriving home one day, it would be the last we would see of her. I remember playing outside one sunny Friday. It was approaching our mother's usual time of arrival as I entertained myself, enjoying the time I had before we were to go with her again. She had been late before, so it wasn't too surprising when it happened on this occasion. It only prolonged the inevitable, or at least so I thought. An hour returned to two, and to three, and four, with no sign of her. Our dad's attempts at contacting her fruitless. Two weeks later, it was the same story. Her time of arrival came and went with radio silence. By the third time, it was beginning to feel clear that we may never see her again. And as it turns out, we didn't. I'm not sure how I felt about this revelation. You would think that such a source of pain and fear would not be missed. But in a way, it was. Such was the extent of how far she had crawled inside of our minds. Years and years spent exposed to her deceit and manipulation. She had us in her iron grip. But in a way, I still felt a connection to her. I felt that as the person who brought us into this world, she was due some respect. As a child approaching my teenage years, I was completely unable to process these feelings. Confusing thoughts swirled around and around in my head. Were we free? Why don't I feel happy? It's true, she was gone. The source of all this pain and anxiety had disappeared without a trace. But not without leaving her mark. It took many years for me to realise the true extent of how my experiences as a young child manifested and affected my life as a whole. While physically she was gone, the impression she left on us and the developmental issues that came with that had a domino effect that still felt to this day. A factor that I believe set the tone for the rest of my life was just how young I was when first witnessing and experiencing various situations. A young mind is impressionable. When we compound this with being completely unable to even process the situations you find yourself in, the seeds are sown and the damage has already been done. Those years, before the age of five, I carried my confusion, my anxiety, my fear, without even the faintest possibility of being able to share those burdens. I kept it all to myself, bottled it up. I didn't know there were any other options. Perhaps, if my first exposure to the situation had begun even a few years later, 
and I had been given time to develop without internalizing trauma, I would have been able to at least begin to share my emotions with others. Unfortunately, I wasn't so lucky. This internalization of my emotions quickly morphed into a myriad of further issues. My brain, in an attempt to protect itself, began building walls around the memories and experiences that affected me the most. All of my negative experiences shut away, closed the prying eyes, my own included. While I appreciate the effort of my brain to shield me from it all, as it turns out, being adamant on the internalization of my trauma only made things worse. I began to develop severe emotional problems, anger issues in particular, a mirroring of the internalization that my brain had become so fond of. When your body trains you to contain your emotions, the release is never a pleasant affair. The general paranoia of my younger years encouraged a strong lack of trust for others, making it even more difficult to communicate regarding my trauma and my emotions as I grew up. Having no control of my environments, my emotions or my reactions to these developments, I felt an ever-present sense of inadequacy. I would convince myself that I was to blame, that I was in the wrong, and that I should continue to keep to myself. The lack of self-worth being crippling in itself, taking years to gain even a shred of confidence. Social anxiety inevitably formed, as I withdrew into myself, not wanting to interact with many people at all, almost resenting the idea at times. Suffice to say, when you mix all of these ingredients together, you aren't left with a great soup, and I had a rough time during my school years, to say the least. Even without the festering effects of trauma, I was a weird kid. I didn't like football, or watch wrestling, or listen to the musicians that the other kids would talk about. For the most part, I was happy to keep to myself, or the few other weird kids that were around, who, thinking back on it, I'm confident had faced their own fair share of difficulties growing up. Bullying was a prominent issue throughout primary school. It was easy to get a reaction from an emotionally vulnerable, submissive, anxiety-laden lad, and it's here where the issues truly start to compound and spiral out of control. I had been conditioned to internalize all of my problems, with my brain constructing an impenetrable fortress around them. I didn't trust any of those who had attempted to help me up to that point, and in later years, the feelings of inadequacy and passivity encouraged me to diminish the seriousness of my problems, not wanting to burden others with my mental issues. When the bullying began, all of the facets of who I had grown to become were strengthened, having experiences with both other students as well as teachers. As I moved into my teenage years and onto secondary school, the bullying became much less of an issue. From that point, the difficulties with anger management, social skills, internalization, and isolation were central to my experiences. It was during these years in particular that I began to develop external coping mechanisms in order to drown out the ongoing cacophony that was my brain. Music was my primary method of distraction for a long time. Being a musician himself, our dad had successfully transferred his passion to the three of us. It wasn't until the age of 11 or 12 that I was gifted an mp3 player for my birthday, any such technology being a luxury unheard of for us at the time. No longer did I have to learn to ignore my internal dialogue when I could just turn it up to 11 and forget about everything. The most influential coping mechanism, however, were video games, and more particularly, the online sphere itself. As cliche as it might be, the freedom and anonymity afforded to the internet user was something that I had never experienced before, and in many ways, I was able to flourish online. Many of the issues that I had developed over the years were curbed in some way through access to this virtual space. I could reinvent myself, be whoever I wanted to be, pretend for a while that I was happy and that there was nothing to trouble me. Around the age of 15, I was granted permanent access to this alternate world with a family friend passing to me an old work laptop. Family members saw the time I spent online as little more than a waste of time, eventually leading me to believe the same. A deep guilt loomed over me as even the place that had given me freedoms in many ways had become tainted. It's true, 
that my first foray into the internet had been a form of coping mechanism, but for someone whose trauma had solidified and affected me as it did, it served as a gateway to things I didn't know how to approach in the real world. I had become ingrained in a select few online communities based around games that I was interested in at the time, sucked into a sphere that allowed me to pass countless errors without having to face the external world, as well as my internal woes. This involvement, while serving as some form of comfort and social interaction, was ultimately leading me to back further and further into myself. Tensions rose at home, with the issues I was facing in the real world being neglected and contained more and more as time went on. My relationship with my family, my dad in particular, was strained for a long time. I refused to be told that my behaviour wasn't healthy. I was closed off by my own choice, lashing out at those who attempted to challenge the direction I was headed. I had blinded myself to the reality of the situation that there were layers upon layers of coping mechanisms and defences keeping me from myself. The atmosphere at home had led to a rift being torn between me and my family as I stubbornly embraced the barriers that were preventing me from opening up and confronting my past. I didn't want to consider why or how I ended up where I was, or how I could curb the deeply ingrained anxieties that had plagued me on a daily basis. For years, family members would attempt to break those barricades, only for me to replace the chips they had removed with barbed wire. In the height of my self-seclusion, I was approaching my final years of school, a time where I was finally capable of discussing my past and seriously confronting the issues that I knew deep down had plagued me for so long. I marched forward though, adamant that I knew what was right for me, but there was always that feeling there, that the path I was taking wasn't sustainable, and as much as I didn't want to accept it, I wasn't happy, and I hadn't been for a long time. The leaving cert came and went, an ordeal that didn't do much to ease the tensions in the family. But over time, that little niggling feeling deep inside of me was becoming more prevalent. For the first time, I was beginning to allow myself to ask questions. The summer after I had finished school had given me the space and time to consider and confront myself in a way that I never had before. By that point, the attempts of others to drag me out of my mental fortress had subsided, and I kept to myself for the most part. It was an interesting time for me mentally as I sat in the limbo between finishing school and waiting to see where my future would take me, the strange uncertainty I was feeling almost urging me to reflect on my past and consider my future. I was still heavily engaged with online spheres at that time, but there was always a feeling deep inside of me that I needed to make a change, to confront my past and begin to take responsibility for the turmoil that my behaviour over the years had brought upon the family. I knew that my actions had consequences, that closing myself off was deeply unhealthy and only served to close me out from myself and others. The piece I was missing, however, was how this had all come about. The tensions at home over the years had shrouded the wider picture. For a long time, I was fighting for the sake of fighting, with the deeply nuanced development that had taken place over my entire life being lost to me. As strange as it seems to me now, never did I consider how my experiences as a child fed into the situation, with the stubborn, narrow-minded view that my difficult relationship with my dad was its own issue, completely removed from the past, and in reality, he was always trying to wake me up. By the time college rolled around, and I finally knew what the next few years had in store, I had somewhat opened up to myself. My stubborn attitude was beginning to erode, yet the crux of the issues that had grown and manifested remained unaddressed. I took a step back from the online world that had given me so much solace throughout my teenage years, with new horizons presenting themselves. I felt I had an opportunity to start anew in a way. I didn't understand the mental state I had been in before and the fortress in my mind remained as strong as ever, but I did have a new drive to at least deal with my issues in a proactive manner and to focus on making the present a bearable place to be. My anxiety remained a pressing problem for me, 
but I was determined to push myself and to make sure that I was the one in control, something that I never had up to that point. I dove headfirst into the college environment, with a newfound excitement to meet people and experience new things while studying something I enjoyed. I began to gel with my new peers, the ice being broken quickly as we found our place together in this new environment. A confidence that I never had before developed as I started to push myself outside of my comfort zone and engage socially in a way that I never thought I could. For the first time in a long time, I was content with how things were, which began to reflect on the home environment. Although I had not come to terms completely with exactly who I was, my attitudes and perceptions began to change. There was a lot yet to unpack, but at least for a time I was happy with how things were going. I was less standoffish with family members, which permeated through the household, bringing about a peace that hadn't been felt before. I ploughed on through my first and second years of college, enjoying socialising and getting involved where I could, engaging with subjects I found fun and interesting. It wasn't to last, however. At the start of our third year, I was beginning to feel increasingly isolated. The atmosphere of the college environment had shifted somewhat, opening the door for feelings that I thought had been quashed to rear their heads again. I began to slip back into old ways. The campus was the last place I wanted to be, finding it difficult to muster up the will to drag myself out of bed and into class, making sure to miss as much as I could without it impacting on grades. I hated it. If I absolutely had to be there, I would come in, speak as little as possible to others, and leave as soon as I could, quickly donning my headphones to escape from it all. I took those feelings of isolation and decided to fully embrace them, backing wholly into myself, giving myself some illusion of control. My tried and true defence mechanisms were back in full force as I avoided any social gatherings or extracurricular activities, choosing instead to immerse myself once again in the online world. There, at least, were the few people I felt comfortable enough to interact with. The timing of the pandemic was morbidly coincidental. There I was, barely scraping together the will to show up to campus, and all of a sudden, we were thrust into a world of online learning. I can't help but laugh when I think back on the irony of it all. At that point, any fears of having to subject myself to the physical college environment were gone. Lockdown? Social distancing? Online classes? It was the perfect arrangement. I seeped back into my isolation, validated by the way things were evolving around me. I was doing my part, I thought. It wasn't very long until the lack of routine began to take its toll on me. Days rolled into one, times and dates becoming irrelevant. I spent a great deal of time online, talking with friends I had made there for hours on end, all of us in similar situations, working from home and feeling an odd sense of emptiness. What I had originally thought to be a blessing was a monstrous disaster for my mental health. Old feelings came back to haunt me, feeling no sense of control or direction in my life, going back to my old ways of drowning out my problems, living just to live. The feelings of inadequacy creeped in again, afraid to open up and to talk to those around me. The effects of my trauma had primed me to have a catastrophic response to the pandemic. Just as I was beginning, ever so slowly, to erode the barriers within my own mind, they came back tenfold. My anxiety returned like never before, with panic attacks becoming an all-too-regular occurrence, waking up in the middle of the night only to cry myself back to sleep, drinking to feel some semblance of fun. I felt truly worthless. Everything that I had felt about myself as I grew up, scarred and broken, was true in my mind, and while I was never diagnosed, this was as close to a depressive state that I had ever been. It's funny how one little thing can flip your perspective on everything. 
I remember sitting right here at my desk, chatting away to some online friends, when a switch flicked in my mind. For us, chatting over the internet through various means and platforms had been a large majority of our social interaction for a long time, even before the times of COVID. But the pandemic had normalized social activity online. While to some, it was an interesting observation, to me, it meant so much more. The online space had meant so much to me and had given me countless avenues to express myself and to engage with others in a positive way, but the negative connotations that it held were always in the back of my mind. With people all over the world being thrust into that space, with Zoom meetings with friends and colleagues becoming the standard, the negative feelings that were attached to that form of engagement began to fade away. The stigma was no more, and this was the default for many around the world. The difference in my case was that I had operated in that sphere for years. It was this realization, this validation, that opened many further doors in my mind. Too much of anything isn't good for you, but the act of engaging online in itself wasn't the issue. It was how I backed further and further into myself. The reality that I had created for myself had shattered, and it was open season to explore and to challenge my other perceptions. Suddenly, I had a motivation to shift my views of myself and the world around me into a different light. I began, slowly but surely, to drag myself out of the rut I had sank into. I began exploring Buddhist schools of thought, which taught of the suffering we feel and how to accept and process your emotions and the situations you find yourself in. The barricades were eroding, and it dawned on me that all along I was the only one that could take them down. It had to be me. For the first time, my past was a topic that I talked about with my family, and considered in my own time, with realizations coming to a front everywhere I looked. I finally understood the crux of everything I had felt over the years. I knew deep down that her actions had a long-lasting effect on me, but the extent of which I was not even able to fathom until I was brave enough to challenge them myself. One of the greatest ironies is what I've gained from it all. I had felt weak for so long, but I came to realise that I was a fighter, emerging from the other side of events that no child should have to face. I gained an understanding and appreciation for the position of my dad, to whom, for a long time, I didn't give the respect and admiration he deserved. Without him, I wouldn't be where I am today. Music remains a massive part of my life, having had so many amazing experiences performing with my own group. My time spent on the internet exposed me to so many wonderful communities, with some of my closest and most valued friends being made online, with that extending to the real world, having had the pleasure of meeting many of them in person. I gained a passion for digital media in particular, learning to edit in my own time while in school, and gaining knowledge that would come in massively beneficial for college. The brain is a strange thing. It does what it thinks it needs to do to keep you safe. It blocks out the things that have truly hurt you, making sure that you don't have to experience them again. It is these blocks, these barricades that it erected for me, that kept me from being able to process my past and to accept who I was and what I experienced. It wasn't easy breaking them down, those walls that I had fought so hard over the years to keep in place, but it had to be done. Finally, I was free. The memories I have of my childhood haven't changed, but how I engage with them has. They've made me who I am, and that's something I can embrace. From one of the darkest periods of my life came the seeds of change that I was able to nourish until they blossomed into something great. To those facing their own trauma, fighting those internal battles that you feel can never be won, stay strong. We can't change the past, we can't forget what we have seen or felt, but you are in the driver's seat. You are in control. 
and it's you who can take the reins and declare ownership of your own mind. Open up to those around you, or anyone you can. In the end, nobody else can fix things. It's something that you have to do yourself. But even that step can be the catalyst for change. It won't be easy, but it can be done. Everyone's experiences are different. There is no cookie-cutter solution to the problems we face in life, or guide on how to process the events we have experienced. But in the end, change comes from the self. Sometimes all it needs to get going is a shift in perspective. Perspective was a school of media production for TU Dublin, produced and presented by me, Josh Balfe. Thanks for listening.